0: This is going to be the last lesson in the Joshua Bible class series. And so I thought it only apt to begin with a bit of a review. The first five books of the Bible are all about the building of a nation. The book of Genesis, God begins by giving Israel the history, both secular and spiritual, that would be the founding of their nation. The lineage of Abraham all the way to Moses. Exodus, he grants his nation physical freedom by bringing them out of Egypt. Leviticus, a spiritual law and a, and a system of organized religion. Numbers and Deuteronomy, history of that young nation and a second giving of the law, as well as the wanderings in the wilderness as that unfaithful generation dies out so that a new young and faithful generation that has been raised, depending on God every day for their survival, can come into his new promised land. And then the book of Joshua, the entrance into the promised land and the founding of the nation of Israel as they physically begin to occupy the territory. And really, we don't want to forget, as we begin, Joshua 23, who these people are that Joshua is talking to. In Joshua chapter 23, he's going to be talking to the leaders of Israel. In Joshua chapter 24, to the people of Israel. But remember that they are this generation that came after that faithless generation died off in the wilderness. They saw the wanderings in the wilderness. They saw the manna, the quail that kept them alive. They saw when God provided them water from the rock they saw when God collapsed the the walls of Jericho. They saw when God turned back an army of them at Ai because of the sin of Achan. This was a generation that had the perfect conditions to be faithful to God, to have an enduring faith in God because they depended on him from a time when they were young. And so when Joshua speaks to them, Beginning in chapter 23, he has one concern. Do not grow complacent. Do not let your faith waver. And more than that, let's remember who Joshua is. Joshua chapter 23, verse 1. And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies about that Joshua waxed old and stricken with age. Remember who Joshua was. When that faithless generation died out, only Joshua and Caleb were left from that generation who had gone in and they had spied out the land. And when everyone else had said, We can't do it, they remained faithful to God. After Moses died in Joshua chapter 1, God comes to Joshua and says, I will be with you as I was with Moses. Joshua was God's hand picked successor, the oldest person in this generation. He was a military hero, but more than that, he was exactly what God wanted because when it came down to it spiritually, he stood with God. He represented everything that God wanted the Israelites to be at this time. And his greatest concern when he calls them together again is, do not grow complacent. Verse 3. Speaking to the officers, to the judges, to all the leaders of Israel, Joshua says, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done unto these nations because of you. The Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes. From Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward, the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them out from your sight and you shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised you. Before Joshua gets into the meat of his message to them, he reminds them why they are where they are. Yes, there have been military victories, but it's not because of them. It's because God has driven these people out. The only reason they have what they're enjoying now the rest mentioned in verse 1 is because God has shown mercy and grace towards them. And so then it's fitting that he says, because you've been faithful, because you enjoy this mercy and grace, don't grow complacent, don't grow faithless in God. Throughout verses 3 to 8, verses 11 through 13, and verses 14 through 16, we won't read it all, but three times. Within those three sets of verses, Joshua repeats, do not grow complacent. Stay faithful to God. There's no way to underline or bold in Hebrew. So the only way they could do that was by repeating. And that's what Joshua's going to repeat here. All of the victories that they've had, We also need to remember that as much as God has driven out these people before them, there are still those in the promised land, the Philistines, for instance. The other nations around them, the Amalekites. These are nations that they still have to wipe out because that is what God has proclaimed for these nations. And so Joshua is going to tell them not just to be on their physical guard, but on their spiritual guard, verses 6 through 8. Be therefore very courageous, and keep to do all that is written in the book of Moses, that you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left, that you come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, nor serve them, nor bow yourselves to them. But cleave to the Lord your God, as you have done unto this day." This word cleave. Some translations say hold fast. It's the Hebrew word debak. And it has a very specific meaning. Today we would understand it as being glued together. You take two separate things and you bring them together and they become one thing. Joshua's a leader giving his farewell address to the leadership of Israel. If he can tell them one thing, There are still these nations around you. You are still in spiritual danger from them, and if you want to fix this, cleave to God. Become one with God. Follow his will as much, as fully as you can. Become inseparable from it. God meant Israel to be a holy nation to him. We see in places like Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 through 45, where God would say, be ye holy as I am holy. The Jewish nation was meant to be separate and apart. That's literally what holy means, be separate and apart for God. And they couldn't do that if rather than holding fast and cleaving to God's word, they held fast and cleave to the gods of the nations around them. Verse 12. Else, if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, again, if you attach yourself to these nations. In this case, intermarry with these nations, pick up their customs, eventually pick up their gods. Even these that remain, among, that remain among you and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them, and they to you know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Verse 1 of this chapter says that God gave Israel rest. I'm going to clarify a bit more and say physical rest. There's no more military danger from these nations around them. But Joshua recognized correctly that the danger was never military. It was always spiritual. And it always interests me when I think about who this message is directed at. Remember who these people are. These are the leaders of Israel. This is not the congregation yet. This is the leaders of Israel. Oftentimes, the leadership sets the tone for any organization. Their habits, the rules that they enforce, the rules that they make, they filter down. There was a standard of spirituality to uphold to by clinging to God. And before Joshua speaks to the nation of Israel, he wants the leaders to understand that. Because as go the leadership... So goes the people. God's leaders then and now need to set the standard for his people. Titus chapter 1, verse 7. Paul is talking to Titus and he mentions leaders in the church. Beginning in verse 7, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. And notice this in verse 9, Holding fast, cleaving to the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. This is written to our leaders now, but I can't help but think that this would be an excellent thing to be written to these people, this leadership of Israel, back at that time when they're preparing to continue to occupy this nation. Verses 14 through 16. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing has failed thereof. His last address to the leaders is to remind them. If I can remind you of anything, first, remember, God is faithful to you. First remember, everything he has said he will do, he will do. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you which the Lord your God has promised, so shall the Lord your God bring upon you all evil things until he he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given to you. God is just. God is a God of love and compassion. But Israel needed to remember God's full character. God had given them laws, spiritual and secular, and they were to follow them. Else they would be destroyed because in verse 16, when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed yourselves to them, Then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land which he has given to you. Leaders, if you become complacent, if you cease to cleave to God, that will filter down into the rest of the nation. The nation will go astray, and then God, being a just God, will act exactly according to his promises and will destroy you. Turn to Deuteronomy 28. This is the section... That Joshua is referring to during the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy. Through Moses, God makes a series of promises to Israel. Verse 1, and it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently to the voice of your God, to observe and do all his commandments which I commanded you this day, The Lord thy God will set thee high above all nations on earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And so it goes until the end of verse 14. 14 verses of the blessings they will enjoy if only they will follow God's word. Blessed shalt thou be in this city, Blessed will you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body. It goes on. But there are 68 verses in this chapter. 14 devoted to blessings and 54 devoted to the consequences of failing to cleave to God, of going after other gods, I think beginning in verse 47, we see the most accurate description. Because you serve not the Lord your God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies, which the Lord shall send against you in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. and He shall put a yoke of iron upon your neck until he has destroyed you. That's what Joshua is reminding leadership of. If I can tell you anything, leaders of Israel, the work isn't done yet. Don't grow spiritually complacent because it will destroy you and it will destroy this nation. But also remembering if you do not grow complacent, if you continue to serve God joyfully, you will prosper. Israel will become the great nation that God has always meant it to be. I can't help but draw some parallels between this and our church today. If only we serve God joyfully with the fullness of our hearts, his church can become fully what he wants it to be. And if we turn our back on him and instead cleave to the world, how we ourselves can work to destroy that great and beautiful church that God would have be here on earth. That was what Joshua had to say to the leadership of Israel. So now he's going to talk to the people of Israel. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua's going to say many of the same things to the people of Israel now. Yes, he's impressed upon their leaders, how important this is. Their leaders are also here to hear him charging the people. But he's going to be a little bit more verbose with the people. He's going to start with the exact same thing he did for the leaders there. A bit of a history lesson, a bit of a reminder Verse 2, in Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau and so he goes, reminding them of the history that we see in Genesis, the history of their new nation. Verse 7, And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. They've been brought out. Now they're fleeing from Egypt. God has continued to take care of them. And brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And you dwelt in the wilderness a long season. Again, remembering this is the generation that lived throughout the wilderness. And I brought you to the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan. And they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them before you. I destroyed them before you. That... I I know personally for myself that every month when I pay my taxes, when I get my paychecks, when things come in, I know that I feel good because I'm taking care of business, because I'm working hard. I'm sure they felt good when they looked at the land around them, when they saw their borders swell. But God reminds them and should remind us as well that all of those blessings that we have are not because we worked hard, but because God is a merciful God. Because God brought them out of Egypt, because God gave them this land. Almost makes me think a little bit of what God said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 when he's first addressing Joshua. He says in verse 6, Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide an inheritance of the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you, and turn not from the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night wherein that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. Israel, think back to your history. Just in your lifetime, you conquered this land. Not because of what you did. Physically. Not because you were great tacticians, not because you were strong warriors, but because... If you want good success, you kept God's law first in your hearts. You cleaved to God. But also remember the people around you. Verse 9, then Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam the son of Beor to curse you but I would not hearken to Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you still, and so I delivered you out of his hand. Israel, as much as you have, the battle isn't done. And remember, these people want to destroy you. Numbers 25 shows it. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14 speaks of it, the sin that Balaam caused the children of Israel to commit. Because Balaam knew that God was going to take care of Israel. God was going to protect them. But if he could just cause them to sin, if he could cause them to begin to make marriages and have relations with the nations around them that God said have no relation with, then God would destroy them himself. Because God is a righteous God. Remember, Israel, who these people are. They want you gone. They want you not just physically destroyed, but they want you spiritually destroyed. They want to separate you from God and his word. But God delivered them. Now, I'm going to make a bit of a side point here there were very specific nations that the children of Israel were supposed to destroy. But let's not think for a second that they were isolated from the rest of the world, that they were isolated from the stranger that would come in and live among them. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34, gives a specific rule concerning strangers that came among Israel. Whenever a foreigner came in, The Jews were commanded to love that foreigner as they loved themselves, to treat them fairly, to extend to them all the same courtesies that they could extend to a non-Jew. I think perhaps sometimes... Nowadays, and maybe looking back, we can project a bit of this back on them. We have the idea that God's people are supposed to be completely isolated and cut off from the rest of the world, completely destroy all foreigners. That wasn't what God said. There are specific nations meant to be destroyed, but God always knew that there would be foreigners among his people. The church today will always exist among the world. And just as Israel had to deal with the world, with the world fairly, with love and compassion, so we have to deal with the world today. They were not to wipe out all foreigners, only those nations that had so far turned their back on God that there was no hope for them and that God decreed their destruction. Verse 11, and you went over into Jordan and came to Jericho and the men of Jericho fought against you. The Amorites and the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I delivered them into your hand and I sent the hornet before you which drove them out before you. Even the two kings of the Amorites but not with thy sword and not with thy bow and I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build. And ye dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which you planted not do you eat. Israel, remember the blessings you're enjoying. Remember your history is what this entire section is about. And remember, if you can do anything, cleave to God to his word and do not grow complacent in your faith because the world seeks to destroy those who are faithful to God and seeks to destroy faith in him. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Israel, you've been blessed because you cleave to God. Love him. Don't just love the things of the world, the vineyards you're in, the houses you're in, the things you didn't work for. Those are just the symptom, not the cause. Rather, love the God that gave these things to you. Love the God that is the reason for your success. And now the history lesson is over and they have a choice to make. Verse 14, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, note this word because it's so important. Choose. Choose you this day who you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choice. In the spiritual world today, that's such a poorly misunderstood concept, but let's not miss the importance of it here. The people are called to say how they will behave. There are those today, I'm going to specifically point the finger at Calvinism, who have some warped ideas regarding choice. Calvinism is underpinned by an acronym called TULIP. And the U in TULIP stands for unconditional election. There are those in the world today who seem to have the idea, you get this feeling that comes over you. And you can't help it. That's where the next, word, the next letter comes in. The I, irresistible grace. You're just called to serve God and you have to. It's not a Christian idea. That's not even a Jewish idea. It has no place in the Bible because here Joshua tells them to make a choice. This isn't based on God's going to drag you kicking and screaming into the land of Israel. Or else why would he even bother with 54 verses of curses whenever you fail to obey him? This is about what you're going to do. And their choice is so often like the choices we make today. The people answered in verse 16 and said, God forbid that we should forsake forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Here at this time, among the faithful, enjoying God's blessings, enjoying his riches. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it was easy to say we will serve God. I'm going to say maybe it was even convenient to say we will serve God. How can you be surrounded by this congregation of other people saying, I will serve God and say, you know what, let me think about this. What happens when they left here? What happens when they're no longer surrounded by the faithful? What happens to us when we're no longer in the church among the faithful of God, the ones who want to be good influences to us? That's where choice really begins to matter. The people say why they chose, verse 17, for the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. They list the reasons why they're going to serve God. And please don't think that this is wrong. I serve God for a reason. Because there is a history. Because God, for the New Testament church, sent his son to die for us. Because God loved us first. I have a reason today to serve God just like the Israelites did back then. Yes, he gave them physical blessings. He gives us spiritual blessings. But it makes human sense to serve God because of something he has done. I don't ascribe this to any weakness, but to say that we serve God solely because of things like this, because of fit, because of spiritual sorry, because of physical blessings not spiritual blessings, physical blessings, that. That is where the problem lies, because eventually those physical blessings can go away. Joshua reminds me of this in verse 19. You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he has done you good. Joshua's not trying to say, don't serve God. He's not worth serving. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, when you make this choice, be aware of the gravity of the situation. Remember who you're committing yourself to. God is a holy God. You have to cleave to his word. Be holy as he is holy. And if you are not, you will reap destruction upon yourselves. And not just physical, but spiritual destruction. Remember the importance of the choice you're making because it's going to determine then and now where your eternal soul goes if you choose to serve God. The people say again to Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Verse 24, and the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice will we obey. Verse 25, Joshua makes a covenant with the people. Verse 26, he writes these words in the book of the law of God and sets up a stone as witness. And verse 28, Joshua lets the people depart. So they go back out into the land filled with people that are Still opposed to God, people that God said they should destroy. Not having fully carried out God's work, now it gets a little bit harder. And we see the dangers of a choice made not by the person making the choice, but by someone else making the choice for that person. Verse 29, it came to pass that after these things, that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, They bury him. And verse 31, and Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. I think there's a concept here of a spiritual inertia. The tendency of logic to keep moving as it has been moving the elders here continue to lead the people faithfully as God would have them to be led. And that's good, but somewhere along the line, something breaks down. Because we shouldn't have, it said, all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. We should hear it written, all the days of Israel, but it's not. And we know what comes next, the book of Judges a period for hundreds of years where Israel has turned its back on God. He calls them back, and they turn their back on him. He calls them back, and they turn their back on him, and it's just a slow spiritual spiral downwards. A choice was made there that day by all the congregation of Israel And some kept it. They served God all the days of these elders who had seen what God had done, who believed enough that when the going got rough, in their case and in our case, it means living among a people that are spiritually opposed to God, trying to be faithful and to cleave to him, rather than the things of the world. But when the going got hard, when the rest of the work had yet to be done, in the book of Judges, the people didn't keep making that same choice. I'm finally of the age and of the disposition that I can speak a bit about marriage. When I took my vows, the traditional vows, I said, for better or for worse, for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health, it's not the good times. It's not how you behave during the good times that determine who you are It's how you behave during the bad. It's how you behave when things get rough. I can't speak to true hardship like some of you here can. Speak to a biblical principle that we see here that a choice is not a one-time thing. A choice is made every single day. And Joshua, as he's preparing to die, says to the leaders, don't grow complacent. Make that choice. Cleave to God. Again, to the people, don't grow complacent. Cleave to God. These are the last words of a dying man. And so he said the most important thing. Joshua recognized that the danger to Israel was not a physical danger. God would take care of them physically. We have passages like Matthew chapter 6 today that say, why do you worry about the things you can't fix? Why do you worry about your height? Why do you worry about the clothes that are on you? Worry about what you can deal with. Worry about your choices. The choice to serve God, to cleave to his word, Every day. That's what you can deal with. That's what matters to you. That's the last thing Israel would hear from the man Joshua, who led them into this new land. I'll end by reading two passages. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Speaking to a congregation that was not faithful as it should be, God said, Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen, and repent and do the first works For else I will come to you quickly and remove your candlestick out of his place, except you repent. Just as they were at risk spiritually then, so we are at risk spiritually now, if we do not make the choice every day to cling to God's word. Not just as a church, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, speaks to the individual. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking of judgment and fire indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. And you notice these verses, where does he hearken back to? The law of Moses in the Old Testament. Maybe he was thinking about some things Joshua was thinking about when he spoke to the people. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose you shall be thought worthy of the one who is trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that said, Vengeance belongeth to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Israel had accomplished most of what God wanted them to do. They'd come into the land, they'd taken it, but they had not fully driven out the people God had told them to drive out. So because they did not fully become what God wanted them to be, They were in danger, and eventually they, as a nation, would fall away from God. Let us not be the church who accomplished most of what God wants us to do, became most of what he wanted us to be, and failed to devote ourselves and cleave to God and his word, and so fell away, and so lost what we could be. That's everything that I have. If there's no questions, I think we have a couple of minutes and then it'll be time for worship service.